You're listening to KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, February the 24th, 2015. Last Sunday, the Academy Awards were hosted by a gay couple. That means gay families are respectable now. Progressive ideas always get a nod at the Oscars. It's traditional. Ever since Marlon Brando sent uh, a Native American in his place, yes, to scold the establishment, I think she refused the Oscar for him, yes. Uh, She was there to, uh, what is that, symbolize the god-awful treatment of uh, the original or indigenous peoples of this land. Uh, I think her name was Little Feather. Right, yes. I've still got her picture on my icebox. (laughs) More recently, it was Michael Moore. Uh, He got into all sorts of uh, trouble. He confused people. Anyway, he did raise a few eyebrows. God bless him. This year, it was Patricia Arquette. She's picking up an Oscar as a supporting actor. She had a speech all prepared, uh, clutched in her hand. She looked a little terrified. Anyway, she uh, pointed out that women historically... Uh, have been activists, uh, progressives, certainly in human rights, that uh, we have fought for racial equality and uh, even economic democracy, all the good stuff. Anyway, so Patricia Arquette said it was about time for the women themselves uh, to demand equity. And she pointed out the, uh, it's called the raw deal, Women in the film industry suffer even at the top. Uh, I'm afraid it's hard for a lot of people to worry about whether or not, uh, you know, the boys get 20 million and the girls get 6 million, maybe, you know. Anyway, all that, all that is old business, uh, but it is true. Uh, women, what is the word for that? Uh, It isn't so much oppression, it's just, I I think of it as being ignored. We're not on the list, anyway. Tis true, tis pity, but pity tis, tis true. 
Meryl Streep stood up with her feminist fist in the air, cheering her on. Funny thing, I was reading my uh, old film books, uh, and I noticed women had a better time of it in the early days of Hollywood. Uh, they certainly were doing all the work, the writing and so forth. Uh, back in the day, as they say, things were more open. You know, it's like back in the days when the movies were mostly silence. Uh, oh, yes, hippies, uh, bohemians, the sort of people who partied all night. Then once they had to learn their lines, yes, the Republicans moved in anyway. Uh, the women directors did most of the B pictures and so forth. Ida Lupino was a major director. Uh, I think she directed more pictures than anybody else. Uh, I'm trying to think what years exactly. I love Ida Lupino. She played Charlotte Bronte in a movie called Devotion. Terrible movie. But Ida Lupino was cool. Uh, anyway, uh, those pictures were economic, yes, economical, didn't cost millions to make them. Commerce is like that, you know, if you get in on the ground floor when things are just starting out. Uh, three or four times I've managed to get in the initial issue, the first issue of a major national magazine, and then once they thought about it and <laughs> uh, sat down, and they kind of had second thoughts, sat down around the table, and they said, well, you know, she's a little idiosyncratic. Uh, anyway, when the big money starts rolling in, the boys take a good look and decide it's man's work. Think of the, think of the uh, fields of, what is it, the, the human fields, health and uh, hmm, even death. Women used to take care of all that nonsense, birth, death, <laughs> life. Do all the caretaking. They were the healers and the midwives. And then, all of a sudden, uh, when the big money uh, came in, the males grabbed up, let's see, today they're the psychiatrists. Used to be just your mother. The psychiatrists, doctors, funeral directors, uh, obstetricians, and, of course, the scientists. If it pays well, it must require a guy, after all. Ah, he's got a family to support. <laughs> That's what they told me. Anyway, it was ever thus, except for uh, those ages... Oh, yes, those millennia when it was no such thing I'm hooked on history. I just love to look back and see how we got to be who we are. Terrific show on TV called Vikings. I'm glued, glued to it. It's all about uh, pagans versus Christians, you know. It comes out about Christians... Uh, seven, pagans, nine. Anyway, it's all about uh, Scandinavia back in the 8th century. Uh, the women there were everything from priests and prophets to earls. 
There are some shield maidens. I had never heard of shield maidens. They're warriors, in fact. Uh, of course, this show, Vikings, uh, well, it does try to give women central roles just because it's the fashion now in the 21st century. The time frame here, let's see, starts out about 752. We're up to 796. Now we're at the beginning of the third season. Okay, 8th century Scandinavia. Now both Scandinavia and Britain were still, uh, let's call them, not city-states, but just, let's call them tribes. Small fiefdoms, maybe. Uh, Wessex, Northumbria, Mercia, all those good uh, counties. Maybe they were counties. Anyway, uh, think of them Yes, as uh, one one lord and a few. Uh, anyway, I think you get the picture. I did a little time studying the Middle Ages, and uh, what surprised me is how interesting it was. It wasn't the Dark Ages at all. It was just a time when there wasn't a uh, central central uh, government. You know, along came Charlemagne and all those guys. Anyway, it seems that uh, Scandinavia was a little more divided, chopped up, you know, than Britain. Hmm, certainly, I was going to compare them to Italy, but it's not quite, it kind of had to be there, right? They had something called earldoms. A female earl comes to power in this show, Vikings. Her abusive husband goes too far. And uh, she, well, she, I guess, she blinds him. I don't want to tell you the story, but the male consensus around her puts her in charge. Uh, she and her grown-up son, Bjorn, I can never pronounce that name, B-J-O-R-N, Bjorn, born. Good Lord, I'll have to go ask a good Scandinavian to help me. Anyway, they set out to uh, help her son's father. He's the central character in this series. Uh, the third season has just begun. And uh, Ragnar Lothbrok has become king. Now, how much of this is legend and reality depends on what book you're reading. Uh, the last king in Scandinavia betrayed his alliance with Ragnar and uh, a blood feud ensued. E elections are not really a concept yet, but you know how it is. The uh, strongest assign their man to do the job. When this woman, Lagatha, becomes an earl, she's on an equal footing with her first husband, Ragnar Lofbrook. <laughs> Everybody says his full name every time. I, I don't know. I really got uh, stuck on him the first couple of episodes. He's very gloomy. Yes, gloomy Swede. Anyway, the Norse sagas are fascinating. I always think of uh, what's it? Uh, Sigrid Unset. Her books were about the... 14th century in Norway, 14th and 15th. Uh, now, 
I like to compare this period, the 8th century, with King Arthur, the King Arthur legends, and there are all sorts of parallels. Naturally, everybody wants to be the king, and that's what the plot is about, but the soap opera side of this story uh, really makes pagan values look cool. <laughs> Human sacrifice may be a, a bit on the barbaric side, uh, all those heads, you know, it kind of resembles what we are seeing today uh, over there in the uh, Middle East, whatever it is. Uh, all those heads, yes, the head man is the guy who takes most heads. People call it human nature. Uh, they they think that it's natural. Uh, they don't think, they feel it's natural. The uh, warrior, one of the warriors in Vikings, tells his son to kill them all, all his enemies, every last one of them, because his children will grow up to avenge. And so it is. That's what happens. The first earl we meet uh, is a tragic figure. I love Gabriel Byrne. Ah, he is a terrific Irish actor crazy about him. Anyway, he is suffering because his sons were killed and they were buried in a sacrilegious uh, way, hideous. Uh, this haunts him. He's just happy to be killed in a fight with his successor. He dreams of meeting his sons in Valhalla. They all want to go to Valhalla. Uh, now, what's special about this show what is useful for students is the clash of cultures. Now, I know that uh, high school teachers probably can't recommend this show to their students because of the sex and violence, but I figure uh, it says there on the screen, this, you know, may be unsuitable, etc. And I thought, well, that'll make the kids watch it. Anyway, I guess... I guess we can call these civilizations, Western civilization. Uh, anyway, in the 8th century, the British, uh, the English folk are uh, Christian, Christian. And we know uh, that Christianity is coming to Scandinavia at this point. The plot uses a Christian priest to present the... Uh, <laughs> the Christian values to the pagans, he's taken in a raid and he becomes the slave of Ragnar Lothbrok. Uh, Ragnar understands that he needs to learn about these people to the West. Uh, later, Athelson, I love him, the priest is almost as interesting as the central character Ragnar. Later, he goes back to England, and, you know, there are these exchange programs. Uh, the uh, bishop back in England attempts to crucify him. Uh, King of Wessex uh, tells them to cut him down, right, cut him down. Uh, this king is King Eckbert. He's sort of an intellectual. He's also interested in the ancient Roman manuscripts and uh, the art, the statues, he's found all this good stuff. 
and he wants the Christian priest to uh, enlighten him, to explain the stuff. Uh, he even borrows some of the strategy uh, for war, for his military expeditions. He uh, reads some of the Roman manuscript of the priest is actually he's he's one of the guys who's copying who's copying uh illustrated manuscripts when he's taken out of his monastery and taken back to Scandinavia but they're bits and pieces and fragments and he reads to, to the king uh and they figure out that all this art and learning left by the ancient Romans um he and the priest study these uh remnants uh, the pagans only have kind of runes. They do not really have a decent written language. Anyway, the classics here among the ruins, uh, they make Eckbert, King Eckbert, and Ragnar, uh, Ragnar's priest friend, yes. They realize that uh, the English people have lost the past, uh, that the Romans knew more then that anyone knows in his time. So, he cautions the priest, tells him he'll kill him, if he uh, tells anyone his Anglo-Saxon people believes a race of giants built the fortifications, statues, and all this classic architecture, you know, all this uh, uh, ancient, I guess we could call it Italian <laughs> stuff, art. Uh, I just think this is a terrific fun. Uh, the priest tells both of these leaders that the other the other culture is different, not right or wrong. He says, "Well, they're they're different. The laws and religious practices are not better or worse." Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, one of my favorite pagans, uh, the the shipbuilder. He says, oh, it's okay, the more gods, the better. They love Thor and Freya. Freya's my favorite. The priest says that he's come to believe in Odin, the All-Father. Uh, he's fibbing, of course. Uh, Odin, the All-Father, is kind of their Jehovah, Old Testament gods, definitely. The priest does believe that Jesus Christ is the gentle god or the... What do you call that? In the New Testament, merciful guy. Uh, he converts in a way because he has to live with these pagans. But after a while, stigmata begins to appear on his hands. He has visions. Obviously, he has uh, issues. He argues on behalf of a battered wife. Uh, King Egbert says that the woman's husband has absolute rights over her right. Uh, but the king sees that this woman's face is smashed pretty badly. There's no proof of her infidelity. So um, he says it's cool and uh, her husband should uh, pay up and behave himself anyway. Later, Athelson, the priest, begins to see things, well, he sees the Virgin Mary, and then that vision becomes this battered wife. Uh, he looks hard, and he sees that uh, 
She's a human, a real person. Her scars are gone and she's recovered, so he understands. Uh, let's call it metaphor. Metaphor, right. Somebody asked me the other day about believing in God, and I, I certainly believe in metaphor, but it's harder and harder in our day to talk about uh, religious belief. I'm just happy to watch this show, just to see the the colors, the cinematography, the jewelry, the sets, the costumes, and those fjords. Wow, those ships! I can't, I can't imagine. Uh, well, I don't like to talk about the money, but obviously, this show cost a fortune. The script is basically about the evolution of humanity. We get hooked on these people's human nature and what they're up against. Of course, the creative mind that put all this together is called Michael Hurst, H-I-R-S-T. Now, I have watched his work on television, on cable, for years. And I have to say, this is... uh, a special character. He's, well, he, he's an historian like I've never seen on TV. It's astonishing. He did the Elizabethans. Uh, but going back to the 8th century, that's a tough call. Uh, I think that King Egbert was a real king, right? I, I gasped when I saw him lounging in a Roman bath. I think that was the real one. I forget where it is. It's, I think there's one in Bath. Uh, anyway, there he is all alone and uh, naked in this Roman bath. And Ragnar is brought in to visit him. And uh, <laughs> Ragnar takes off his clothes and gets in the bath with the king. And after that, they are... Not friends, but they are, um, let's call it, uh, simpatico, yes. Now, the other English lords, we won't call them kings, a couple of them call themselves kings. Uh, these English lords are not so cool, they're pretty basic. Uh, they are, of course, afraid of these uh, raiders, I guess, they think of them as raiders, uh, Throughout, they use their women to form alliances, as do the Scandinavians. The idea is to gain property. Some of the women are actually ambitious. They spend a lot of time visiting oracles. Ragnar's original wife is a tough cookie. She uh, couldn't stay in the marriage when a pregnant princess turned up, uh, she comes with this huge entourage and this huge stomach, this beautiful blue gown. Unbelievable. That woman, I don't know where they found her, but uh, that's beyond beauty. Anyway, it seems that there was an orgy at a grandiose gathering. Uh, Rothnar attended the gathering, but his wife did not. So, there was the princess, and, uh, uh, well, 
she initiated the whole thing. It was a one-night stand, but this is a soap opera, and you have to get your audience hooked. Uh, we get to see their children growing up. Bjorn, Bjorn, Ironsides, he gets the name Ironsides when he's still a teenager. He, let's see, they prophesy that he will go to the place, the sea, where there are no tides. I'm trying to think. Uh, the Mediterranean has tides? I'm not sure. Anyway, we can anticipate that he is going to lead some of the great Viking raids in the future. Uh, I wonder how long this show will go on. So far, 20 hours, 20, and the new season has started 21 hours. Uh, anyway, when Christianity arrives, we're going to have some fancy, uh, some fancy dances here. I'm trying to think. I still believe that Scandinavia, or let's call it modern Sweden, Norway, Denmark, uh, still retains a lot of their pagan heritage. Maybe it accounts for some of their present mores. Oh, I mean, anyway, they're into nudity. <laughs> I, I just get the impression that they're not so puritanical. But uh, all of that's hard to sort out. If you are uh, a fan of the movies of Engmar Bergman, you will see that uh, this is certainly nothing happy-go-lucky about religion in Scandinavia. But, uh, uh, Vikings, I love it, I love it. I made a list the other night of all the wonderful things on TV, and a couple of friends of mine said, you can't really spend that precious time on KPFA talking about television. I said, well, okay, I'll try to stop. I'll try to switch this year, uh, International Women's Month is coming up, and I'm going to switch to women writers because that was my initial mission on KPFA. Uh, some somebody's interviewing me. Yes, I'm trying to see the date. Oh, March the eighth. We're going to do women's programming all day, and I think. Uh, between four and five. Uh, I will try to get my message across half an hour interview. I have no idea what I should say in an interview. Uh, I guess that I'm a publicist for the revolution, something like that. Uh, anyway, last night I sat down and made a list of all the women writers who have helped me to become who I am. They are my mentors, uh, I thought maybe I would go chronologically, but I can't do that. I kind of go, uh, I kind of go intuitively. Lately, I've been looking for women who write about their relationship with their children, even their middle-aged children, and I guess it's because that's where I'm at. The, uh, the battle of the sexes begins to grow a little a little tired. Uh, uh, we'll leave that to Patricia Arquette. Uh, it seems to be all about money now. Who gets the best salary? Uh, I thought that feminism was about ideology. I thought it meant that everyone 
wanted to be an artist and take care of children. <laughs> I was wrong. Anyway, I'm out of time today, and I wanted to tell you about Charlotte Painter. She's the woman I'm starting with next time. And the material I have, uh, she's almost my contemporary. And uh, she's the most iconoclastic in terms of her relationship with her children, her son, Tommy. Uh, I just don't have time to start that today, but I'll save it for next time. Look up Charlotte Painter. The yellow wallpaper is her most famous fiction. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Drop the shadow out of the Quite recently, most of us discovered that we had, without even knowing it, traded our individual privacy for a dubious fantasy called national security. Without that privacy, can we have either freedom or democracy? Robert Shear tackles these issues in his wonderful new book, They Know Everything About You. The author of The Great American Stick-Up and a columnist for Truthdig, Shear will be in Berkeley on Thursday, February 26th at 7.30 p.m. at the First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way. There's wheelchair access. I'm Philip Mulderry, and I get to host this terrific event. There's more information at kpfa.org slash events for Robert Shear, February 26th. This is Brother Cornell West. I'm asking you to support the one radio station in the Bay Area that